Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Edge and Beyond, the series that makes sense of use cases across industries, brought to you by Intel's Internet of Things group. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B, and thanks so much for joining us on another episode of The Edge and Beyond. We're really excited to have you. In this video episode of the show, we're going to be exploring how two key industries, both retail and hospitality, are adapting to digital transformations, where they're facing challenges in deployment, whether that's in friction of transitioning their workloads or understanding how to make sense of new compute platforms. And then we're also going to speak to how Intel is supporting these digital transformations. So for insights today, we're joined by two members of the Intel team. We have Ben Cope, technical lead, and Sangeeta Gangam, technical lead for multimodal analytics, both with Intel's Internet of Things group. Ben, we'll start with you. How are you doing today? Hey, great, thank you. Yeah, it's a great to be with you. you on. Yeah, of course, same to you. What are you most looking forward to in today's conversation? Uh, yeah, I'm really interested in how, when we look at these markets, how the requirements translate to, you know, to future requirements for our um, IoT products. Um, in particular, you know, I have a passion in video and in how you know, a heterogeneous mix of uh, processor types is needed to uh, suit the resulting workload. So yeah, interested, uh, happy to get in the conversation. Absolutely. Sangeeta, same question to you. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you, Daniel. Thanks for that introduction. Of course. It's a pleasure having you on as well. What are some of the insights that you're excited to share on the podcast today? I'm really excited to be here today and talk more about some of, some of the innovations that we have been doing, um, both in the areas of retail as well as hospitality, uh, bringing together um, a lot of the pieces over and above our 11 gen CPU, which was announced in 2020. Um, so glad to be here today. Thank you, Daniel. All right, Ben, Sangeeta, I'm really looking forward to sourcing your insights. So let's go ahead and jump right in. Like Sangeeta mentioned, we're going to be chatting about both the retail and hospitality sectors today, both of which are seeing many options for digitization today. So that's where I want to start. Can you explain some of the key trends that are impacting digitization in both of these sectors and why these are the leading trends? Digitalization uh, has multiple trends uh, to the different verticals um, that Intel IoT serves. Uh, we're going to show a, um, a graphic on the screen now. Um, the theme of the trends, as I see it, if you look overall, is you can see there's, um, there's one sort of direction of um, increasing operational efficiency um, through to you know, another angle is, is the wow factor and the experiential um, yeah, as, as a customer goes into whether it's a retail store or, or hospitality. Um, an example from operational efficiency uh, could be you know, self-service kiosks that we see from self-check-in in a hotel through you know, self-ordering when you're in a restaurant. And I think one of the operational efficiencies here is how that can free up staff to uh, take on other roles. Um, on the experiential side, um, we're seeing sort of the wow factor of such as uh, large LED video walls. Um, through to interactive smart mirrors in retail changing rooms. Uh, the impacts on technology here are quite interesting and you see an increased demand for interactivity. Um, these platforms are no, way, no longer uh, one-way mediums and sort of evolving how the human machine uh, interaction is, uh, is happening. Um, we also see increased use of analytics on things like crowd monitoring and probably more on that later. Um, 
Another key impact from the experiential angle is uh, implementation of state-of-the-art um, experiences with the adoption of standards like 4K and, and 8K video resolutions. Um, of course, these, op these don't uh, operate in silos. Uh, so another key trend we're seeing is the convergence of multiple workloads on a single platform and, um, and edge computing. I think Ben covered that so well, um, and he highlighted a lot of different areas. And to me, uh, you know, the multi-modality of that digital aspect, I think, is becoming more and more prominent now. Um, the expectation is that the interaction uh, has to be done in more than one way, uh, which leads to a, a type of processing, um, you know, which has to comprehend the different types of data sources. Um, so it's certainly exciting um, to see how the industry is evolving uh, from just video to video and audio and, and a multi-sensory approach to a digital medium. So how are you seeing both of these industries, both retail and hospitality, uh, fare as they try to implement these digital transformations? Are they able to embrace these changes? Are they creating any difficult challenges? for facilities operators, integrators, content creators in the industries. Give us your thoughts. So I think um, in, in terms of being able to uh, create content that can work across multiple different uh, form factors. So let's take an example. Um, maybe it's a digital screen and it's in, in a myriad different sizes and, and um, um, myriad different locations. So not all at the same spot, but cohesively they have to bring together a synchronized rendering approach. Um, so the content when it's created um, has to keep in mind that when it's actually played back, uh, it could be done at the same point in time. It could be done with a few pieces playing together in a close enough area that an audience that's maybe watching it from a certain distance is able to kind of get the message pretty clearly when it's uh, showcased on that particular screen. Um, you know, while while uh, the the content itself could be different, I think one of the examples that I've seen very recently is in the drive-through space. Um, you know, I think as as more and more people prefer to do takeouts, uh, whether as curbside pickup or, or driving through their vehicles to minimize contact post-COVID. Um, ensuring that the the content is able to provide the right information for a given customer, I think, is critical. And I think that's where knowledge of the customer, whether it's coming in through video analytics or whether it's coming in through previous information, um, you know, is, is vital to make sure that that content can be adapted. So being able to adapt content on the fly um, is also critical, um, is, is what we are seeing. Yeah, I think Sangeeta covered that well. I guess another angle I would, um, I, I would describe as well is that, or another challenge point to that is, um, you know, we see uh, retail, both in, in both sectors, um, the need to implement multiple different types of um, functions and, and interest in multiple different workloads. And you could, in the retail store, you could consider this like a store closet problem that you, what uh, I think people don't want to do is every time there's a new function, put a new box in the, in the store closet to support it. So this is where uh, we're seeing that sort of edge compute and workloads of workload consolidation or multiple workloads running on one platform uh, trend where people want maybe you know one server architecture that they can uh, run multiple of these functions on together. Now, have you seen any of these transformations, um, I guess, enter the forefront because of the COVID-19 pandemic? 
uh, yes or no? And if so, do you see any of these continuing to be relevant post-COVID? Give us your context there. So I think, um, as I was um, mentioning earlier, the drive-through use case that we have seen, um, you know, I think is definitely going to stay a lot of the innovations in that space. So whether it's um, uh, being able to service the customer as soon as they drive up uh, to a window or as soon as they drive up to a curbside for pickup, um, being able to provide and customize the content for upsell so that it benefits both the quick serve restaurant brand as well as the customer in terms of being able to order quickly. Um, I think that that probably is here to stay. Um, and a lot of those innovations will just lead to a better service future for that particular industry. And uh, those capabilities, as Ben was mentioning, you know, is only possible because a lot of those data points are being processed at the edge. Um, They're done in real time. They are connecting to disparate systems, all the way from vision-based cameras that are collecting data about the number of cars in the drive-through to uh, picking up the order um, over an audio uh, that's tied to a menu board, and then maybe receiving data from the cloud that's maybe tied to the previous customer order, and then looking at you know what is the, the inventory like and what type of menu can be put on that particular menu board. So there's so many different pieces here. And I think the changes that we have seen um, happen due to COVID are probably here to stay. Yeah, I think I, I would agree. So um, certainly uh, maybe increasing the rate of adoption of um, some of the sort of inference-based uh, technologies or AI-based technologies. So other examples are crowd monitoring. So um, solutions to monitor how many people you have in your in your store to uh, to check for capacity limits and that people are maintaining a certain distance apart. Um, you know, those sort of monitoring things you can envision have have multiple applications. So you can expect maybe that that persists after COVID. Uh, there's other um, other use of AI in in the kiosk scenario. So we're seeing or computer vision. We're seeing um, interest for non-touch based interaction to kiosks um, as people are. You may be less comfortable with making physical contact um, with something in in certain you know, in, in certain cases. Uh, time will tell whether that's a short term uh, or a long term um, requirement. Let's go ahead and get more specific with some of the technologies. How are you seeing these digitization trends impact some of the uh, types of workloads that are running on the underlying? compute platforms? And are the workloads becoming more difficult to use? Are they becoming more streamlined? What are your thoughts there? Yeah, I can take a run of that first. So I think from those um, different um, you know, use cases we described, I think it's key to see there's quite a diversity in the spread of workloads that are need. And that shows, as I mentioned in my intro, so it's increasingly important um, to have a quite a mixture of different processor, processor types. So at, at Intel Architecture Day uh, last year, um, we have a snapshot up on the, the screen here uh, that was talked about uh, four different um, processor types. And it's interesting to see sort of the workload impact across those. So if you look at scalar type, which people are familiar with to be sort of a CPU processor, the interactive applications um, we talked about earlier, so running on a kiosk, um, yeah, that's very you know, well mapped to that. And the performance is very important to have a you know, good user experience with those applications. Through to, you know, a lot of our applications are very display and visual based. Um, so graphics, uh, particularly with 
new requirements for 4K and, and, and 8K coming, um, you know, this leads to increased requirements on the vector type or, um, you know, or, or GPU, if you like. Um, then on the sort of a matrix data type, which an example is vision processing units, such as Intel's Mavidius um, products. These are products designed specifically for those uh, inference workloads and, and computer vision. Um, so those are you know, very well mapped for the um, AI inference workloads we talked about. And I guess finally completing the, completing the mix, uh, last but not least, uh, the uh, spatial type, which you know, FPGA technologies uh, of a good um, yeah, example of, um, those are probably less prominent to the audience or, or seen, but very important for inline processing um, workloads, such as in LED video wall controllers, uh, for example. So yeah, it's interesting to see how, the, how this mix, um, you know, is it becomes increasingly important uh, through that divergence of, of workload. Now, in uh, those transformations and shifts in workload, what do you see as some of the key associated challenges in implementing uh, these kinds of digitization transformations, whether those are challenges in integration, challenges in day-to-day -day use, or otherwise? So I'd say in terms of challenges, I think that there's a few different angles you can look at that. One is from a programming point of view. As you have multiple different uh, processor types, you know it can become can make it more challenging or, or daunting from a programming point of view, and that's where um, toolkits like um, Intel's OpenVINO toolkit for computer vision and, and AI is is quite interesting because that allows programming in one way and then uh, application of of that across uh, yeah the diff to the different processor types, which means you can you know, make trade offs and, and target your your algorithm to different parts, whatever makes sense. Um, related to that is, you know, there's a sort of multi-faceted criteria or multi-criteria for deciding which is the right one of these processor types to put a particular workload on. And it isn't always down to just which will run the highest performance. It can be, you know, that you have um, one of these workload types in your system already. So you may have a CPU or GPU there already. And it's underutilized. So would you, you know, use that first before plugging in a, a sort of vision accelerator or would you plug in a vision accelerator because that then keeps your workload uh, separate and allows you to have you know, some separation between other workloads and, uh, and so on. Uh, so yeah, that's, that would be, be my thoughts. Yeah, I guess one quick point to add to that would be, um, I think um, when we look at a lot of the different AI type of use cases, um, having the right type of a framework uh, which OpenVINO does does provide, as well as the models that are a good good starting point, um, is a great way to see you know um, how a use case can come into fruition. However, um, a lot of that requires um, creating um, further custom models, which could actually um, uh, provide the right set of data for a given use case. So I think that needs a particular methodology, um, a lot of data set for the target use case. Uh, it's different, let's say, between a drive-through, which is outdoor, uh, whereas another um, retail use case, which could be a combination of indoor as well as semi-outdoor. Um, so, you know, while we are all trying to, I think all the different um, 
use cases are trying to understand the audience. I think the way um, the um, pipeline is put together and the data and how it, it, it all is assessed in the end could be different. Um, I also feel the interface between a lot of these different components when that end solution comes to fore uh, could be critical in ensuring that the system has the right level of performance. Ben, you mentioned earlier the role of programmatic advertising or just programming in general in out-of-home media. Can you expand on that a little bit and explain more about what's happening to the industry in this space? How is this kind of media and um, programming having to shift because of the broader digital transformations we're talking about, both in retail and hospitality? Yeah, I think there's a expectation from um, you know from advertisers and brands from the experience they have with advertising online you know they used to be you know, being told how many people clicked on the advert even you know how that uh, that converted uh, into um, you know into sales um, so one of the transformations we're seeing with um, digital signage is bringing that um, you know that, that same experience um, sort of to uh, in in the offline world so in the the out of home um, yeah, Sangeeta has been doing some great work in this area, so I'll, I'll, I'll hand over to her. Thank you, Ben. Um, so, uh, you know, in in the out-of-home space, uh, Intel have been working with several partners, as well as industry forums like the DPAA, which stands for Digital Place-Based Advertising Association, um, to drive the uh, the capability called a 3A that you see right now in front of you on, on slide four. So um, 3A in a sense stands for uh, the three core functionality that is expected from a digital screen. Um, so the first A is what we call as addressability. Um, this is where uh, the, the goal is to make sure that whatever ad is served programmatically is able to target the right audience. So being able to show the right advertisement to the right target audience, especially when they are closer to the screen. The second day is what we call as accountability. And I think that's where um, Intel has, a, has had a, a part to play. This is where um, the goal is to measure exposure, um, which in, in the uh, standard industry term means that um, uh, the goal is to look for who looked at the advertisement and for how long. And then the last part is the attributability uh, or attributable, uh, which is where um, once that there has been a ad that has been targeted, there have been people that have looked at it, then the goal is to find out if that particular advertisement actually led to a purchase. So identifying a path to purchase. So this kind of completes the circle all the way from um, showing the advertisement to leading to a sale. Um, and you know this, this comes uh, from the online advertising world. One of the challenges though in implementing this in a um, out of home space is the fact that you have a, um, a screen that's viewed by many people versus if it's actually shown on a mobile device or on a browser, you only have one person potentially looking at it. So one of the ways that the industry has been able to solve the problem of being able to um, uh, make the screen accountable is by actually having video analytics count the people as well as uh, get the demographic information in terms of uh, who actually saw the advertisement and for how long. And while there are many approaches in computer vision that allow you to create an algorithm from scratch, use a lot of the open data sets, 
uh, and create a working piece of software that's able to provide that data set. Um, what, what we found in working with our partners as well as uh, the experience that we had with OpenVINO was um, it really it did not address the end use case in the sense that um, a lot of these um, out-of-home signs are outdoors, uh, they could be indoors, they could have various lighting conditions, uh, they could have many different types of cameras. Um, so being able to accommodate all of that and being able to analyze how well these solutions work required a standard methodology and a content data set to help our partners um, assess the software as well as for brands and advertisers to get a good understanding of which solution is best for a given use case. So given all of the, the, uh, the background here, um, as, as you can see on the same slide, um, we worked uh, and uh, partnered with Queen Mary University um, in London to um, create a set of um, metrics as well as benchmark um, the solution um, that on target, um, target devices that actually provide a really good understanding of how this works when it's deployed on the screen. All right, thank you so much for all that context so far. So I feel like we've broken down some of the specifics about uh, digitization in retail and hospitality and some of the challenges that come with that transformation. I wanna continue on our challenges conversation, but this time expand a little further. We've just sort of talked about the challenges in general, but what are some challenges for broader adoptions or any friction points from wider scaled deployments of said technologies? And how does that manifest differently in retail and hospitality? So I think one of the, um, the, the, the friction points for adoption is, you know, is what um, uh, Sangeeta referred to about having those sort of common benchmarks and, and understanding of accuracy. So I think that is, um, important to note. Yeah, I think, um, uh, you know, in terms of uh, taking that same problem set um, broadly across um, the specific methodology, um, I think the way it has been put together and kudos to the Queen Mary University team, um, it is uh, buildable. It is um, a unit modular level, uh, which can be easily expanded upon for other industries as well as other types of data sets. Um, and or different types of end results, which needs, needs to be evaluated using the same metrics. Um, so the goal there was to make sure that it creates a good starting point for being able to assess um, different solutions and then um, essentially build on it. I think a lot of the other industries have similar um, solutions today uh, for benchmarking. Um, and you know our, our goal in, in driving that effort was to make sure that we have a good starting point for uh, the out of home as well as uh, some of the, the parallel usage in the retail and the hospitality industries. You've both mentioned Intel a bit in your answers and specifically how Intel is working to meet some of these needs. But I wanna just ask you in a more straightforward way, how is Intel intersecting with both the retail and hospitality industries to meet these challenges and help uh, professionals in both industries transform into these new digital realms in the most effective and uh, seamless way possible. Yeah, so as you said, we we touched on a couple of the areas earlier. So um, you know, and I think the important thing to discuss here is you know what we're doing be beyond the the silicon uh, processor technology. Um, so what area you know maybe. 
uh, touch on is some of the sort of solution level um, initiatives and work we do. So we have uh, two programs. One is called the Intel Market Ready Solutions Program, and the other one is the uh, RFP Ready Kits. And these are uh, sort of in the market ready solution sense. These are complete solutions we build up and promote um, with our partners uh, that get listed on our web website and show sort of ready to go solutions for some of these um, you know, some of these problems, which is great for the sort of uh, end customer audience. The RFP ready kits are maybe a collection of technology components uh, that might be promoted to a system integrator, for example. And, and those are sort of advanced building blocks together that again, allows uh, more ready and uh, in both cases, faster adoption uh, of technology for some of these use cases. I think Ben brings up a good point. Um, even um, you know um, when COVID hit, I think um, although our market ready solutions um, included a good set of capabilities that could be readily deployed, um, you know the team um, um, at, at Intel did look uh, closely at um, how the newer capabilities, specifically around contactless solutions um, have to be implemented now moving forward. And I think um, there is a similar um, type of a solutions directory, if you will, that's available that touches on those aspects uh, for multiple different verticals. And of course does cover retail and hospitality as well. Uh, so bringing in some of the um, contactless um, interactions, uh, bringing in uh, some of the um, sensor approaches as to how to bring that together uh, in terms of what partners have developed today, um, as well as what's coming up, you know, certainly that's a, a good place to look at and um, you know, use that as a um, guiding reference uh, when putting together solutions. Ben, you mentioned ways that you're expanding past just creating the silicon. We'll get into that here in a little bit. Um, but I also wanted to just highlight that in 2020, Intel announced the 11th generation of core processors for the IoT market. Uh, can you intersect uh, some of the key features of this 11th generation of processors with the workloads and challenges that are being brought by digitization in retail and hospitality? Uh, sure. So, um, yeah, so I think the First thing I'd say is that 11th gen processor is a great example of bringing together multiple of those processor types I talked about earlier. Uh, so from the scalar CPU, the vector GPU, uh, and even matrix, you could say matrix processing in the uh, GNA audio, uh, audio IP in there. Um, but to sort of tie to the workloads uh, that we're talking about earlier, so, and I think yeah, CPU side, interactive um, applications, so it's kind of the most uh, most obvious sort of mapping, and yeah, and the the continued sort of increase in in, in CPU performance and enha and enhancements made there, you know, help uh, make those applications even more you know, performant and and so on. Um, from the um, video side of things, there's quite a um, quite a number of interesting capabilities in in that product for for this market and use cases. So the uh, the GPU, the XE architecture um, for for sort of the rendering performance and uh, and so on. Um, alongside that, in in the graphics, um, you know, we have uh, blocks for for media uh, capabilities, so for for codecs and and actually that process is the first time we have um, 8K support um, for for 8K video, um, as well as AV1, which is a, a new uh, a new 
codec standard, a, a royalty-free uh, reapproach, which is you know, very interesting for uh, you know, for delivery of of low bit, low bit rates and video, both at 4K and and, and 8K. Um, the other sort of related things with these increased performance uh, point to you know, in there is is four display pipes, and that's that's quite interesting for uh, realizing some of these um, sort of wow factor. Um, Sort of experiential things where uh, you know, maybe you have a big um, a big video wall, but you want to make it out of four four uh, K displays versus one eight K display. Uh, maybe you know, to achieve an eight K surface, maybe you don't have availability or, or or the price of an eight K native panel is is prohibitive for that. So being able to output four four K um, you know, signals in parallel uh, from the the processor enables you to drive those those big walls in those examples. Um, and also, see, finish finish up by say, you know, it's also beyond the you know, the processor capabilities in there. Uh, so, for example, uh, yeah, there's newer memory generation support, such as with um, LPDDR4X, which which really provides that memory bandwidth to support the you know, the applications we've been talked about talking about. I don't know, Sangeeta, if you want to add anything to that. Yeah, I think uh, one one quick point to that would be, um, you know, there are different um, versions of the 11th generation CPU, and specifically the embedded version um, does have a long life uh, support um, over and beyond uh, what's what's uh, available for our uh, client um, roadmap products, uh, which is um, essential for many of our IoT use cases. Uh, so we spoke about hardware earlier. Can you explain what Intel does from a software point? Uh, to enable these digital solutions and support these transformations in retail and hospitality. Ben did a great job um, uh, going through all the different hardware features that are available as part of the 11th gen CPU. Um, I think in, in addition to the hardware aspects, uh, Intel also announced uh, the availability of the One API, uh, which was available as a beta software release in 2020, and uh, which will be uh, soon released as a 1.0 uh, with the spec as well that's going to be released at the same point in time. So one thing just to clarify, um, the One API is an industry spec and the idea there is to provide a common interface and a common um, API layer that could allow programming of multiple heterogeneous computing modules. Uh, so this is um, something that uh, Intel has also adopted. And um, the one API release from Intel is the first instantiation of that specification. And um, the goal there is to make sure that um, this would help in driving the standard for a lot of our software as well as hardware providers. Um, this is an open initiative. Uh, so uh, Intel is welcoming partners, competition, et cetera, um, to create their own versions from this particular spec so that there is a single um, interface for a lot of the software applications, um, which could then be easily ported over to multiple hardware systems. Uh, it's modular, it is scalable, um, it is uh, you know, uh, meant to be um, utilized um, at uh, uh, API level, but does certainly have tools as part of the toolkit that is tailored to specific use cases. Um, so there is, um, if you go to the 
one API site, which we'll have as part of the um, next steps and the links that you'll see here shortly. Um, you know, we will include um, the link to one API that will showcase um, the different toolkits available. So as an example, the IoT toolkit uh, provides everything needed all the way from being able to create the software to being able to measure how well the software performs on the core um, CPU um, or, or any Intel hardware platform, um, all the way to porting over any of the other hardware um, software to the Intel system. And as an example, this could be your um, porting of your CUDA-based code uh, to uh, Intel DPC++ um, type of a system that's based on one API. So definitely uh, the goal here is to make sure it's a single point uh, to um, help our software partners get started on creating the software on the Intel platforms. All right, we're getting close to wrapping up our episode for the day. I want to expand out to uh, what our audience can be doing here to intersect with Intel. So I wanna ask both of you, how does Intel engage with the broader ecosystem uh, to support uh, these challenges? And also what are some opportunities for our audience to partner or engage with Intel in these transformations? Yeah, so I can um, take a run at that first. So uh, I'd say technology wise, you know, you see Intel present in, in both standards organizations and special interest groups. So I mentioned um, 8K earlier. So we, so last year we joined the you know, 8K association and involved in activities with them, for example. Um, on the, you know, like we're doing today, you know, we have, we run a number of uh, webinars and speakerships and, um, you know, attendance at, at trade shows. Um, so I think you can sort of watch out for us, for us there and, you know, an engagement. Uh, and finally, I mentioned that market ready solutions and RFP ready kit programs before, you know, that's uh, another example of the ways we, uh, you know, we, we interact with the with the ecosystem. Just to quickly add to it, um, you know, I think um, uh, the work that we have done so far um, is uh, either published as part of white papers or available uh, as an example from our, our partners. Uh, in, in this case, as we were talking earlier about Queen Mary University, uh, they do have a website that talks in detail about the process, methodology, and metrics. Um, so uh, certainly uh, um, available to other um, other partners as well who would be interested in looking at some of those capabilities. Um, the, the market ready as well as uh, RFP ready kit solutions as well. Um, uh, those are great ways to interact with uh, Intel products that's already out there and, can, and are ready to be deployed. All right, and last question for both of you, what would be your call to action for our audience uh, if there's any retail and hospitality professionals or teams listening in today, uh, you know, if they are dealing with these digital transformations, what can they do soon, immediately to get ahead of some of these transformations, make the most out of the digitalization that's happening to their industries? I, um, I guess just a quick, uh, a quick way to uh, get involved and, and, and kind of um, start working with Intel, um, you know, of course, uh, take a look at some of the white papers that our team has published around uh, looking at uh, different interactivity mechanisms in retail as well as hospitality, uh, specifically for contactless usage. Um, and uh, the links are available on this page. Uh, we welcome uh, our partners to take a look as well as contact Intel um, if they have any other um, ideas, questions. 
um, et cetera. We are looking forward to talking with you and working with you. Yep. And uh, I think very much what Sangeeta said, you know, encourage the audience, you know, thinking about how, you know, engaging with Intel sort of beyond that, uh, yeah, beyond that Silicon level, as we described here. And, it, and likewise, you know, if there's any uh, questions or further discussion um, to, you know, to, to get in touch. Fantastic. And that does it for our conversation today. Thank you so much for joining us. Again, we've been chatting with our two guests, Ben Cope, technical lead, and Sangeeta Gangam, technical lead for multimodal analytics, both with Intel's Internet of Things group. So again, thank you to Ben and Sangeeta. And uh, last question to both of you, if our audience wants to get in touch with Intel and Intel's IoT group to a potentially partner on any of these technologies or just learn more about what you're offering, how can they do so? Yeah, the, um, our contact details um, to get in touch will be, will be shown at the end of, uh, end of this webinar. And yeah, finally, I want to thank, uh, thank you, Daniel, for, for the conversation today. It was, it was fantastic. Likewise. Um, thanks. Thanks, Daniel. Thank, thank you to the audience for listening, and we are looking forward to hearing more from you. Fantastic. Ben Sangita, thanks again. Pleasure getting to chat. And I want to also thank our audience for tuning in to this episode of The Edge and Beyond, the series that makes sense of use cases across industries. Again, brought to you by Intel's IoT Group. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B, and we'll catch you next time.